All right, so good morning. Good to be here. Good to continue this series on uh, my near-death experiment. If someone, would you mind grabbing the table that's back there? I know I seem high maintenance, but that'd be great. Uh, We are in this series, and here's the deal. If you missed last week, you can listen online. It's a a good message, if I do say so myself. Uh, But you you will also just kind of get the gist of why we're doing this series and why why we're talking about the things we're talking about. Thanks, Mike. That's one of your other roles, my cousin, and getting the table for me when you're... Uh, here's the deal. My near-death experiment came out of my own life and experience, and you've had a similar experience. You've had encounters with people, and maybe you've actually had a near-death experience yourself. But you've probably had conversations like I have with people that have had some kind of like close encounter with death. And they, when they did, they didn't die, obviously, because you were talking to them. But, but then they, they had this like epiphany, right? They, they had this new kind of reprioritized look at life. They saw things in a different way. They were more passionate. Maybe, maybe they left one job that was not fulfilling and they started doing something else. Maybe they spent more time at home or, or, or whatever it was. They kind of focused on what matters most. They, they were able to shift from maybe just going through the motions to living with more passion and purpose. And so when I had conversations with people like that, I decided I want more of that for me just without the hospitalization, you know, and the ambulance and the, and the trauma and drama. And so that's what this is. The whole reason is to provide an experiment so that you don't have to have the near-death experience, but you can still focus on the things that matter most. That is what we are talking about and trying to do. In your notes, you'll see at the top, I have these letters, SLM, Significant Learning Moment. Versus SLE, significant life event. A significant learning moment is what you can have here this morning. A significant life event is when something big, catastrophic, difficult, life-shaping happens. Now, here's the deal. As much as you can, choose to learn from significant learning moments. If, see if you can prevent the events wherever possible, Right? This week, I'll give you an example. I was babysitting seven-month-old Jack. You wouldn't think that that would be that difficult. Uh, he doesn't walk. He doesn't move around very much. But he has learned how to, like, power army crawl. And so he, he can cover some territory on those elbows. And uh, Hillary has gone back to work about, you know, a few hours a week. She's teaching her Pilates again at a studio. And, and Pilates, I don't know if you've done it, but when, when she puts me through a Pilates routine... Um, it's not easy. It's, it's kind of humbling. I always have to like suggest that we arm wrestle afterwards just to kind of reestablish um, <laughs> who's, you know, stronger in the marriage. And so she is, she's teaching her Pilates. I'm babysitting Jack and I'm on my computer. I probably maybe have some football on or something like that. And I'm doing my thing. And, and, uh, and Jack, yeah, I look down, he's there. We're good. And then she comes in the door a few minutes later. And the first thing she goes, she says is, Caleb, like, like panic, like my computer's everywhere. I'm like, what, 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 what? I look up, Jack's over by the lamp. Now, when a baby plays with a lamp, the baby plays with the power cord, right? And so Jack, you know, he's there with the power cord, and, and Hillary flips, and is just like, you can't, you can't leave him. You got to know, you got to watch. You can't, you can't, the power, the, the electrocuted. And I'm like, okay, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. I'm so sorry, I'll be better. Significant learning moment, Okay. <laughs> 
so hopefully now I will have like etched that into my mind and I will be able to make a better decision when I'm watching baby Jack and I will keep my eye on him so that he doesn't have a significant life event, right, that would wreck me uh, forever. So significant life, significant learning moment versus significant life event. Here's the thing. There are things in life that are more important than other things. And what we're talking about today is really what matters most. And when we focus on what matters most, life goes better. Maybe you've heard it said, where focus goes, passion, energy flows. So when we're, when we're deluded and we're distracted by all kinds of other things that are less important, then our focus is not on the things that are most important, and you will miss out on the life that God intends for you. When Jesus walked to the face of the earth, he was walking around. He was the most popular guy in history. People were always coming up to him. And, and on this one occasion, or probably several occasions, but on this one occasion, really smart people that have things figured out, religious leaders in the day or whatever, this guy came up to Jesus and he said, teacher, what is, what's most important? Like, what's, what's the biggest thing? Like, if... Like, if you could narrow down all your teachings, all the Torah, the, you know, ancient Jewish text, if you could narrow it, what's most important to this life? I respect you. You're obviously kind of a big deal. So I'll let you tell me kind of what, what's, the, what's the big thing? Like, what's the main thing that my life should be about? And Jesus answers him in Luke 10. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And... Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the main thing. And you know that already. Even if you've never been in church before, you know instinctively inside that love is the main thing. They sing about love. Every other song on the radio is about love. Every movie that you go to, even if it's an action movie, if they're smart, they've woven some kind of love story into the mix because it grabs your heart, it grips you. It keeps you watching, and it allows you to buy two tickets, one for your wife too, right? So they, they, they're smart. Love is at the center. Love is at the core. Love is, love is the main thing, and you already know that. Everyone that you know has this longing inside of them to be loved by their creator, God, and to be loved by other people. It's how he made us. It's how he designed us. That's the main thing. And God worked it out. God said that I am love, that God is love. And then he said this. He said, we love because he first loved us. The the story, the life is about receiving love from God, responding to that love by loving other people well. It's simple. Life is really simple. Not easy, but simple. And you might want to say, no, 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 it's actually more complicated than that. In my business, in my job, things are, things are more complicated. I have all these things to balance and juggle. Actually, think about, think about an aspect of life that is not submitting to this one main thing. Even in business, you know why businesses exist? To add value to society, And in business dealings, you can choose if you're going to screw somebody over or if you're going to do right by them. There's nothing wrong with making money. But ultimately, the goal for even any business is to add value to society. Think about any law that exists. Not only the Ten Commandments and all those laws that were built on top of the Ten Commandments. Think about any law in culture. Even traffic laws 
Why? Because there are other people. It's not just you on the road. It's not just your 17-year-old on the road. There are laws in place because there are other people's lives at stake. Don't text and drive. Why? Because you might hurt somebody else. Don't have an affair. Why? I'm, this person is who I should have married. This is, this is really love. No, it's not. You're going to crush this family because you think this is more love? Don't murder. Don't even be angry, it turns out. All of the rules, all of the commands in Scripture and in life bow down to one main thing. Love God with everything that you are and love other people like you love yourself. Life is simple, not easy, but simple. Then why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult to live this way? Why is there so much pain still? If it's that simple, why is there still so much brokenness, bad relationships? Why have you maybe at times felt disconnected from God? It's because there is a resistance. There is an enemy. Jesus refers to him in one place as the thief. This antagonist, this enemy of God, he says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life to the full. There's an intentional effort to strip away, to keep your focus off of the main thing, to steal your passion, to steal your love, your relationships, to kill those bonds and relationships, and to destroy your life and your future. There is an enemy. There is a force. Even if you've never been in church before, somewhere inside you know just innately that there is this kind of negative force that's wrecking things, that this can't be God's design. There is an influence that comes against you living for that main thing each and every day. It is real. And Jesus taught, he's a thief. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, he says, that you might have life and life to the full. Life to the full, springing out of this this love God with everything that you are. Love other people like you love yourself. And then underneath that, you can build all your priorities. I gave you on your outline a little box you can put priorities in. All your priorities and values come out of this one main thing. Every priority, habit, pattern that you build into your life should support this main thing. And you'll see as you start to build those kind of patterns and habits and focus on priorities, you'll see how there is a resistance to those things, how something comes up, something discourages, something makes you want to quit because there is a thief and he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'm going to tell you in the next few minutes that we have the three primary ways that this thief will try to steal, kill, and destroy your life, my life. We're going to start with one story. As Jesus was walking He went from place to place, and he stopped sometimes at people's houses. He was like one of the first couch surfers, right? He was always, he was sleeping on rocks or on the dirt, but then also sometimes stayed at people's homes. Luke 10, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care 
that my sister has left me to do all the work. Tell her to help me. This is not an old problem, right? You've already had this conversation with someone today, maybe. I mean, this is, this is a normal thing. This still plays out all the time. I am doing all the work here. I am achieving. I am preparing. I am making this, this house what it is. I'm, I'm working hard here. I'm, tell her to come and help me. And then Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Life is simple. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Here's the thing. At this point, there had been a period of about 400 years prior to Jesus being there that people felt like, the people of God felt like they had not heard from God, that God was silent. 400 years. And then Jesus shows up, God in skin, and now he's like in the thick of things and walking around. And we know that when he left, he said that he left his spirit, like his spirit comes and lives in us when we receive him, right? But in that time, when Jesus was in your house, he wasn't in someone else's house, When Jesus left your house, he wasn't in your house anymore. We get it? So so he is on Martha's couch, and Martha's in the kitchen. The God of the universe is on your sofa. What are you doing? What's so important What are you trying to earn? What are you trying to fix? What are you trying to clean and make shiny? Is God saying, is Jesus saying right here that there's something wrong with preparations and details and things like that? Absolutely not. Nothing good happens without preparations and administration and things like that. What he's saying is there is a time, a time to prepare. There's a time to sow, a time to reap, a time to mourn, a time to dance. There is a time for everything. And when God is on your sofa, you might want to be in the living room. And Mary was just kind of, you know, asking him questions and just wanting to be around him. And Martha, Martha had a problem. Martha was striving. Martha was trying to earn something. Martha felt like she had to have everything just right when God was already in her house. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He will come in your life, to try to steal the present moment and make you choose the wrong thing at the wrong time. As we talked about last week, God is with us. He is with you. He's wired you to do certain things and and grow and do business and and use the gifts he's giving you, but at such a at the appropriate time, not earning and striving and trying to, trying to grab something for yourself when he's already there in your midst. The enemy will try to steal your life to the full by pulling you out of the present moment. The next story comes from Mark chapter 10. It says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then watch this. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So let me tell you what's happening here. You have this guy, where we're going to see in a moment, is a very, very wealthy man. We know that in America and the United States, we are like in the 99th percentile of wealth, right? In coastal communities, it's even more than that. But imagine even in Huntington Beach, the wealthiest person you know. The wealthiest person that you know in this area. This guy is very, very wealthy. 
And he throws himself in the dirt at Jesus' feet. In his suit from Barney's or from wherever, I don't know. He throws himself in the dirt at Jesus' feet, and he says, good teacher. And Jesus points out, if you say good teacher, what you're implying is that I'm God. And so this guy thinks either Jesus is God or he's really tight with God. And so I'm going to ask him, how do I get eternal life? Simple question for you. What if you really believed that it was God who speaks to you? What, is, what, what would happen if you really believed that it was the God of the universe who answered your questions? It's one thing to believe that, you know, if, if it's just Caleb up here on the this, on this stage sharing some, like, good thoughts here and there, I, please, take some, leave the others by all means. But if God whispers something to you, if you get that little discomfort, like, oh, that's, I'm not, I need that. If you get that little nudge, like, oh, I, I, I got to adjust this. Thing. If he whispers, if he shows you, if he illuminates something in his word, if the God of the universe is actually the one talking with you, how would you respond? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you're going to see in this moment that the enemy does that to this man. Jesus answers him, you know the commands, you shall not murder the commands, you know these things. And the guy says, teacher, I've kept all these commands since I was a young boy. Probably an exaggeration, but he's probably a decent kid at the same time. He's a decent guy. He's, been, he's got lots of gold stars on his chart. You know, I mean, he's, he's done some things right. He's a pretty good guy. He feels like, man, he's been vigilant. He's kept all his commands. And then it says, Jesus looks at him and he loved him. He didn't judge him. He didn't say, oh, no, 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 I saw that one time in science class. Or, you know, when you were over at the Joneses' house, I saw in the, you know, in the dresser, you, you took the, he looked at him and he loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Is Jesus saying that wealth is bad? No. He's saying that when wealth is your main thing, you can't live the life that he intends for you. He's saying that for this guy, because Jesus had the ability, he knew, he's God, he looked into his soul and he saw that there was one thing that was, this guy believed the right stuff, he acted really good, but in his heart, the main thing was not the main thing. His identity was wrapped up in being wealthy and wanting money and greed of needing more. That became his main thing. That became his obsession. Jesus doesn't hate the wealth He'd allowed him to be blessed in that way. But he says, put it in its rightful place. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. The enemy will try to kill your contentment by making you greedy, by making you feel like you just need more, by making that the thing that drives you instead of your relationship with him. 
I wanted to share a story, a real-life practical story. There's a great friend of ours in this church who has lived an interesting life that I thought that you guys would appreciate hearing from. Would you please welcome Fred to the stage? Fred, as you get settled here, would you share with us just a little bit about what your life was like before you had an encounter like this guy with Jesus? Well, uh, started uh, in Georgia. I was born in Georgia, the youngest of five, and uh, we didn't have much. But one thing I did have was I was very ambitious. And uh, from an early age, uh, even at, well, at nine years old, I actually was introduced to Jesus and uh, was water baptized at the urging of a friend and uh, moved on from there. Uh, by the time I was 12, 13, I had started a paper route, very ambitious. Uh, money was, was my goal. Even in my paper route, I took the money from the proceeds and bought uh, some weed, some marijuana, turned it into profit, was making money when I was 13, 14. By, by 19, uh, I wanted to move on to bigger and better things. So I had actually uh, moved to Atlanta, and then from Atlanta, I moved to South Florida. And at that time, uh, in Boca Raton, Florida, IBM was just introducing the microcomputer. Uh, so I started selling microcomputers for IBM, doing very well as a value-added remarketer. Uh, by the time I was 23, uh, that wasn't enough. Uh, by the time I was 23, somebody said, hey, why don't you get into the stock brokerage business or, or trade commodities? Uh, because, uh, you know, Wall Street's where the, where the money's at. So I said, hey, I'll give it a shot. Let's do that. Because for me, you know, uh, Matthew talks about the Great Commission being uh, uh, disciple, others. But my Great Commission was 20%. Whatever the commission was, <laughs> I would do it. So uh, they told me it was Great Commission and that. I got in the brokerage business, and by my mid-20s to late 20s, I had moved from $100,000 a year to half a million uh, a year, uh, was married, had a child, uh, couldn't find contentment. All I thought about was money. It was my, my God at that time. Uh, nothing else mattered. Uh, I mean, that, that was how we were taught. That's how I was brought up at that time, uh, that uh, if you want happiness, it's all about the stuff. You know, accumulate as much as you can. Uh, in fact, we would joke in the office that... Uh, what, what do you do for a living? Well, we, see, we sell greed to ignorance. I mean, it was that bad. It was just a moral you know, dilemma. We just didn't know what was right. Yeah. We laughed about things. Well, that not, that not being enough, in my late 20s, I would travel back and forth to Colombia, South America. And we know what comes from Colombia. Emeralds. <laughs> um, but before you know it, I was... Uh, I had offices in L.A., Houston, Chicago, New York, all the major cities uh, because the Colombians had told me their problem was they had money in the United States that they needed to get back to South America. The drug cartel. Yeah. yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Once again, what's the commission? It's a good commission. Let me get started. <laughs> so I, I got started and was uh, very successful. Before you know it, I was the man uh, to, to, to move money that everybody called me. And uh, I knew finances. I knew how to do it uh, different ways. And millions of dollars. Uh, I, had a, I had accomplished 
success according to the world. You know, I had all this stuff, all the trappings of success. But uh, God speaks to us. He came to me and uh, with a knock on the door. It was the DEA, IRS, and U.S. Customs, all standing. Uh, well, I had a dilemma. They had been following me for a couple years. Now I'm in my uh, early 30s. And they said, hey, you have a choice. You're, you're facing 10 to 15 years minimum mandatory under federal money laundering charges. Uh, you can go do that time or you can continue to do what you're doing, but for us. So I said, well, let's, let's get started. You know? <laughs> uh, so I worked for, for the government for four years uh, here and uh, as well as for Interpol in Europe uh, doing exactly what I did before. So over after that time had elapsed and I did my time with them, I, I had an ankle bracelet because they would monitor me. I was able to, uh, to just go to church. So I would take, I had two kids at the time, and I would take them to church. And uh, it was the weirdest thing, so this is where it starts to change. God brings me to his church. It's a warehouse, and uh, the pastor's given a message, and it's as if he's speaking directly to me. Like, I'm thinking, oh, somebody must have told him I'm here. Because the guy's, <laughs> he's calling me out, you know, out of well, all these had, people. You had an ankle bracelet on, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, lo and behold, uh, I would find myself crying, which is the weirdest thing. I, I would just be sitting in my seat crying about the message, the music, and everything. And I come to realize it was the Holy Spirit. But I didn't cry much before I was a, a Christian. But now I cry at the opening of a Walmart. <laughs> you know, so I'm a real crybaby now. But uh, they would do this thing called an altar call. At the end of the message, they would ask anyone who has made a mistake with their life, who is looking for forgiveness, wants to turn things around, come forward and say this simple prayer. And the, and the prayer kind of goes like, uh, Lord Jesus, uh, I invite you to be the Lord of my life. I want eternal life. Forgive me for my sins. I've, uh, I've made a mistake. And then thank you for forgiving me based on what you did on the cross. And, and from this point forward, I want to be a follower of Jesus. So I said that prayer. I didn't see a big light or anything. Nothing happened, but God is cool. Very slowly, he started to take things out of my life and, and replace them. Uh, my desire for, for stuff started to dwindle. Uh, and I started to, um, he put people in my life to disciple me. He put uh, a fellow from an executive ministry that walked with me for three years, teaching me the basics of practical Christian living. He also taught me the difference between a religion and a relationship uh, with Christ. So it was all new to me, and God had totally started to transform my life. I remarried uh, my wife, Anna Maria. We had a son. We brought our kids to church, and I haven't looked back. Uh, the reality is that, you know, there's a way that seems right to man that leads to destruction. And uh, what I thought was cool obviously was not. So now I know what is cool, yeah. and that's following Jesus. So yeah. I haven't looked back since then. I've been growing in Christ. Actually, my small group is here, yeah. or my, uh, awesome. my rooted, the life group. Yeah. So... So it's cool. I, I, I like my new life uh, in Christ, and uh, that's pretty much the story. Yeah. And uh, like I said, there's a, uh, it says uh, to sell your own soul. There, I think there's some scripture that 
to sell your own soul to, to, to gain the whole world, yeah. it's not worth it. Yeah. So. Thank you, Fred. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. I've gotten to know Fred, and I know that his life has changed, and that now money and ambition and whatever is not the main thing anymore. In fact, when I asked Fred if he would share, I said, I'm talking about the rich young ruler. I think maybe you can relate. Would you share a little bit of your story? He said, yeah, sure. And I said, okay, can you get here a few minutes before the first service? He said, I'll already be there at 6 because this is my week to help set up. So that's a changed life. Getting here at 6 a.m. every other week to set up so that we can do what we do in here so that people like us can have encounters with this same Jesus because his life has changed. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He'll try to kill your contentment by making you greedy, making you feel like you need more, to making you feel like you're entitled to the things that you have. But you will forfeit life to the full on that journey. As Fred said. One other thing. Luke chapter 9. Someone came up to Jesus and asked him another question. I want to come and follow you. I want to come and follow you. And he said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Is Jesus saying that family is unimportant? No, he's not. Jesus has the ability to look into someone's soul and to see what is their main thing. And think about, imagine if you put your hands to a plow and you're plowing a field. You plow fields, if you haven't grown up on a farm like I clearly have not. You plow in straight lines. And what happens if you are plowing and you look back? You jack that thing up. <laughs> He's saying, you cannot go in the future that I have for you if you are always worried about your past, if you are always anxious about what people will think, if you are worried about how your family is going to handle it now that you want to follow Jesus, if you are worried about, no, 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 but I've made too many mistakes in my past. No, let me go and check in with these people. Let me run it by these people. He's saying, no, 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 I invite you to come and follow me. I have this future for you. If you keep looking back, you're going to miss it. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your future by making you worried and anxious about your past and about pleasing other people. Life is really simple. Love God with everything that you have and love other people like you love yourself. Receive love from God and you, you respond to his love by loving others. But there is a resistance. There is an enemy. There is a thief trying to steal, kill, and destroy all the time. He's trying to, he's trying to steal you from the present moment. He's trying to kill your contentment and trying to destroy your future. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means for you to live that life uniquely 
given how God has wired you unlike anybody else? What does it look like for you to play out this main thing in all in the ways that you do in the life that you have? But today, I just wanted us to sit in this, in this reality that life is simple. Not easy, but simple. At the bottom of your outline, if you would just consider these questions. Motivated by love, I am going to focus on eliminating what from my life? In other words, I'm going to kill this thing before it kills me. I am going to kill that greedy ambition before it just continues to steal my contentment. I'm going to kill that anxiousness because it's stealing, it's robbing me of real life. What, what is it that you need to kill before it kills you? And then the last thing, I'm going to invite who into this journey? As Fred said, we need other people in this journey. God will bring the right people at the right time if you are open to it, if you are authentic and if you are willing to invite others in. Don't do this thing alone. One of the reasons why we do an experiment, and if you see in the book, there's a question and an action at the end of every little reading because life change requires action. Jesus is always inviting all through scripture and still today, inviting you to take a next step. But don't try to do it on your own. You're fooling yourself if you think that you can live this life on your own. Jump in. If if it's a life group, if you haven't done Rooted yet, start Rooted tonight. Or maybe it's just one other person that you know should be here or that can walk with you on this. Get extra books for them. Just go through the process. Just invite them into your story. Be real and invite them in on that journey. God, I pray that you would do what you're doing in our lives, that we would free you to do it, that we would trust you, that we would be willing to kill the things that are robbing us of the life that you designed for us, that are are robbing us from a more full and meaningful experience of life. Continue to speak to us now, God, and give us the courage to respond in Jesus' name. God in my living, there in my breathing, God in my waking, God in my sleeping, God in my resting, there in my working, God in my thinking, God in my sleeping, be my everything. Be my everything, be my everything, be my everything. God, stand and sing this with us. God, in my hoping, there in my dreaming. 